Hi, everybody. My name is Martha. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I've been coming to meetings since January of 1992, originally in Dallas, Texas. Um, and now, I, and I, two years later, I moved to Austin. So I've been in Austin ever since. Um, and my home group is uh, the OA lunch break meeting on footsteps that meets Monday through Friday uh, around midday in uh in middle of America anyway. Um, anyway, so, okay. My story, since we have a newcomer, I'd like to just share a little bit about what it was like. Um, I came in, I, before I came into the program, you know, growing up as a kid, I remember sneaking food when I was about five. Um, I remember using food as a comfort. And I remember I'm the youngest of two girl, three girls, and I remember knowing that my body was not like my sister's um, and that the way my body was, was not the way I, that I wanted it to be or, or, and the, or the way that was quite as socially acceptable uh, at, at the time, uh, so to speak. Um, I wasn't athletic. I have a lot of complex vision problems that made that difficult. <laughs> I was kind of a little brainy uh, showbiz nerd kiddo. Um, pretty awesome, actually, just a bundle of creativity. But I remember asking my doc, my pediatrician to put me on a diet in fourth grade. Um, I remember, uh, you know, being bigger than my sisters and comparing myself. My mom also rigidly controlled her food with smoking and with just a lot of rigidity around food. She was the adult child of a violent alcoholic. Um, so, you know, this runs in the family <laughs> for sure for sure. Um, for me, so I'm a performer. All I ever wanted to do was be a singer and uh, originally in musical theater growing up. And my size and my appearance always got mixed up in that. You were supposed to be, you know, super skinny and preferably blonde and um, impeccably dressed at all times. And um, and I, I just wasn't that person, you know, I, at 17, I kind of already looked like uh, an adult woman, you know, um, I was in what are perfectly normal sized clothes, but because it wasn't a six or an eight, um, I thought I was excessively large. And in fact, I was told by my choir director through my friends that I had to lose weight if I wanted to be in the top choir at my high school. Um, so a lot of that shit happened and continued to happen. And I would go on crash diets and I would try to stick up with them. Um, and, you know, it would, it would last for a while, but I could never sustain it. I tried to be anorexic. My sister was anorexic in college. She was eight years older than me. Um, and I remember being jealous that she had a diagnosis for what was wrong with her. And she had a nice Latin word for what was wrong with her. And I was just um, weak-willed and had no willpower. Uh, you know, that, that was the difference, right? Um, so I get to college things start to kind of go, it, it was just my, my identity was like straddling 47 different directions. You know, I tried to be in a sorority at the University of Texas. I was living on the honors floor in my dorm because I'm kind of a little brainy nerd. And I was a music major hanging out with all of the theater people. Um, those three identities don't match very well. Um, and the stress and strain of trying to be something I wasn't and or cobble together something I was from all of that. And then got my first boyfriend. He dumped me and things went bananas. And for my 
between my junior and senior year in college, leading up to that, I had gained uh, a substantial amount of weight. I found myself weighing over 200 pounds and I went on a liquid diet that was super popular in the eighties, um, uh, doctor prescribed. So I was on 400 liquid calories a day while working part-time, going to class part-time and performing in the summer musical in Austin. Um, so it was uh, no wonder that I was fainting on the regular <laughs> and no wonder that I was not doing a great job of sticking to this 400 calorie diet. But nevertheless, I lost about 70 pounds in three months. And suddenly the girls in my sorority were nice to me. And uh, Suddenly I started getting cast in some roles, uh, professionally even, uh, and some things changed in my life that I just wasn't at all prepared for. You know, I, I only, you know, they had these behavioral modification classes to go with that liquid diet, which didn't teach me anything, didn't have any skills. So I was still eating compulsively and drinking alcohol to cope with my feelings and my feelings of being an imposter and my feelings of being you know, the piece of shit at the center of the universe, but also the person on the outside looking in while everybody else knows how to act and everybody else knows how to have friends and everybody else knows how to have boyfriends. And I'm just the weirdo on the outside. Um, so as I went into my professional theater career, I was cast as a, in a very lead role in a show in San Antonio. And I, and again, I was just utterly unprepared and my weight just crept up and up and up because I had just had no skills. And so by the time that all ended, I kind of slunk home to Dallas, having put on a whole lot of weight. And for the next two years, I just binged and ate and drank until I fell asleep at night. And I got a job in advertising because I thought my theater dream was over. And I was thinking about driving off a bridge on my way home from my parents to my dark little apartment. Um, that was December of 1991. And this thought came into my head on Christmas Eve. If you'll just go to OA, 1992 will be a year full of miracles for you. I don't know where this came from because me and the higher power were not on speaking terms. And the only speaking I would have said to the higher power was fuck off at that time. <laughs> um, but the thought wouldn't go away. And all I knew about OA was, you know, the thing that you're that well-meaning parents will pass along. Well, I heard that so-and-so's daughter did blah, 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 right? Because everybody told me about all of their diet plans. Um, at this point, I was about a size 26, 28. Um, I, uh, and, and I had seen the commercials that used to be on the air in the 70s growing up that I think, um, you know, it, it seemed like it was all sad housewives, you know, and I was desperately trying to hold on to the idea that I was a 21 year old cool and hip girl. Right. Um, but you know what I did, I walked into an OA meeting in downtown Dallas, close to my advertising agency where I worked on a Monday at lunchtime. And I sat in a room with a bunch of people who seemed like they had their lives together. And even some women who seemed like, like aspirational, who I wanted to be like, um, and they all did the same kind of thing that I did with food. And I cried for two weeks. I cried with the relief of knowing that, that there were people that were like me who had, you know, taken food out of the trash can, who hid food, who, who lied to people about the food that they ate, who couldn't stop eating even when they wanted to, 
Um, and uh, I, I just knew I was home. And so I had a lovely pink cloud for that first year. I lost a hundred pounds in nine months. Um, I stayed in, I was in Dallas for two years. Then I moved back to Austin and gosh, darn it. Things weren't the same here in Austin. You know, they just, they weren't the same. And I thought maybe I was fixed. So I kind of wandered off and was hanging out at the AA meetings because there were boys there and also cool musician people. And I was very cool. Um, so I had some time wandering in the wilderness, but I count my recovery from the day I walked into OA because I think I never stopped trying to walk this path. Even though my path has meandered, I, you know, like I said, I spent some years going to AA meetings and not going to OA meetings and my weight fluctuated, but I was also working really hard in therapy with a black belt Al-Anon therapist. Uh, you know, and so I, I call it was relapse, but for me, my understanding of this disease is that for me, it, it is kind of a relapsing chronic disease. And at different times in my life, it comes back with a vengeance. Um, and so what I try to do instead now is to do a, a dear friend, Mary taught me is she abstains from leaving OA. Um, and I have abstained from leaving OA um, since about 1990. Um, and you know, all kinds of things have changed. I, I thought all of my dreams were dead. I thought my life was over. I'd only ever had one boyfriend in my life and he dumped me after eight months. I was single all through my twenties, but then I got, I met this amazing man who is not fucked up in most ways, who, uh, <laughs> who thought I was great and told me he would love me no matter what size I was. And he's, and he has, um, and I'm married and I have a kid and I've sung, I started my own band, multiple bands. I've sung in bands. I've run two half marathons in my fifties. I've, um, you know, gone on bold, adventurous hiking trips. I've, I had a baby. She had health problems. I had health problems. I got diagnosed with anxiety and boy, was that amazing to find out. Uh, and I'm still here. Um, and I'm, deeply, deeply grateful for the fellowship because it, it continues to change. If I, the, the one thing that really surprises me after 31 years is I thought when I first came in that it, that it was like, okay, they're going to give me a food plan or I'm going to figure out a food plan. I'm going to work these 12 steps and I'm going to be fixed. And I'm going to just like tra-la-la skip through the rest of my life doing that for the rest of my life. Well, friends, that's not my story. My, my food plan has changed. My understanding of higher power has changed. I've had huge crises of faith that have then, you know, led to a new, deeper understanding of my higher power. Um, here I am, uh, you know, during COVID, I also turned 50, started approaching uh, menopause. Maybe I'm almost there, but I've, I've put on weight, even though I was following my food plan. Um, and uh, now I'm being called to a different understanding of like, I keep getting, I keep getting pushed to maybe, maybe right now, the thing that I'm supposed to understand is that I'm not in control of my body either. You know, I, I had, and that I, I came in for the weight loss, but I'm beginning to understand that my obsession with rigidly controlling my weight and rigidly controlling my size is just as much part of the disease. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a chubby, healthy, little 54 year old lady. 
I I walked a half marathon three weeks ago. Um, you know, I I'm doing all the things that I want to do with my life and yeah, my body has changed because they change with time. Um, and, and I'm learning how to let go of a deeper level of, of, or accept a deeper level of powerlessness that I didn't, uh, I didn't see coming. I really didn't see it coming. I thought, you know, I thought that my weight would stay in this five pound range that it had stayed in for a really long time, but you know what I'm, I eat in a way that works for me. Um, I'm going to more meetings than ever in the last years, um, which is just remarkable. I'm doing service. I'm sponsoring. I have a sponsor. Um, so who am I to say that anything is wrong? Cause it seems like everything's kind of okay. Um, so that's kind of my story in a nutshell. It's, I think I'm at a new stage of growth, which is scary because my first inclination is to always think I'm, well, I must be doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. You know, something's changed. I must be doing it wrong. Um, but looking back on my life at, at this age, I, it seems like life just gets lifey sometimes and we get new things we got to learn and new experiences and our bodies do what they're going to do, you know, um, and our kids do what they're going to do and our family members do. And, um, I'm just, I'm trying to roll with it and be joyful and happy and free right now, because that's what the program tells me I can be. I can be happy, joyous, and free right now, no matter what I ate five minutes ago, no matter what size I am, no matter what step I'm on, no matter whether I am the poster child for OA or, or even if my going to any length is only about this far because the program meets me the rest of the way. So I'm grateful to be here with you. Thank you for asking me and I will stop from there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Martha. That was fabulous. <laughs> okay, ladies, we're going to um, take a few minutes and um, you'll have an opportunity to ask Martha some questions or comment or, um, and then we'll move on to our next speaker. Who, who wants to go first? Oh, uh, Barbara. Sure, I can go first. Uh, thank you so much, Martha. Really appreciate having you here. Um, I really love the quote that you said, abstain from leaving meetings. That's a completely, that's just a 180 in my brain. That's all. Very simple. Just abstain from leaving meetings. Love that little quote. Um, and I just would love if you would elaborate just a little bit. Um, you said something to the effect of, uh, you know, your sobriety waxes and wanes. That's just a normal part of OA. My language, not yours. Um, but do you mind, especially since we might have a few new people here, because uh, I think people think you hit that button and that's it for the rest of your life, you know, when, you know, so what it, can you just explain a little bit more about the, the ebb and flow of that? And when you're, you know, you did mention that, you know, you're approaching menopause and so your weight's gone up, which I appreciate you sharing that. Um, but let's just say it hadn't been due to menopause and your weight was just going up. Um, what would you consider to be, would you consider that to just be part of the program or you need to tighten the belt? Or I guess I'm looking for a little bit more detail on that, if you don't mind. Certainly. Um, so I can only speak from my experience. Sure. Um, I previously, well, I, I tend to be a person who, if I think I've screwed up or I failed in some way, I, I would never come back. 
right? I would run away and hop. It would be really hard for me to come back. And I, I got to the place where I could admit I was in relapse, but I also started to think about this disease as being more like other chronic diseases that have better phases that are phasal or, or kind of go in and out of intensity and, and stopped judging myself for that happening to me. Um, for example, I struggled when my daughter was born. She had health issues. I had health issues. And for about two years, I didn't go to, I didn't go to hardly any meetings, maybe none. And I gained some weight, but I was doing everything I could possibly do. I was in relapse, but I don't see that as like, I need to go back and start over my recovery from day one. I just, the, the minute, like my daughter had to have surgery. It was like the day after she had her, her, her big, scary surgery, I could go to a meeting again. I don't know why, but I still consider that whole thing part of my recovery because I think for me, the disease is sort of relapsing, recurring. The other thing I would say, and I used to really freak out about weight gain. And here's something that is, that is new to me. And that some of this is two years ago during the pandemic, I worked, uh, uh, worked a uh, inventory on my character defect of racism. Um, and I had never done it that way. And it was really interesting. And I started to also realize that I have some anti-fat bias in my uh, character defect list as well. And when I started kind of uncovering and doing some outside reading about attitudes about fat and looking about how I felt and judged myself and other people in different sized bodies, I couldn't see it as being very different from some of the other prejudices that I've worked at in this program. And I'm, and I'm still unpacking that, but I, start, but I started to realize that it, it made me question my obsession with my weight has to be X, right? Um, because I started to understand that maybe we can't, you know, maybe this whole idea that we're supposed to control our, our physical size is toxic. So this is all like what's percolating in my brain the last six months. So it's hard for me to articulate. What I would say to a newcomer really is this program has the flexibility and the breadth and depth to grow with you and to go with you through almost any, well, anything you could go through in your life, at least my, mine so far, and that's been 31 years. Um, so I hope that answers the question because there's always room for, for asking questions. There's always room for saying, this is my truth right now. I'm still figuring it out. It might change tomorrow, um, but, but you can always say those things in an OA meeting and it's okay. Uh, thank you. That Martha. answered your question. You that really did too long. beautifully, actually. Uh, and <laughs> actually, I think along those same lines, and you just gave me a lot of, um, you articulated for me what I wasn't able to do. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Next, anybody else have a question or comment? Pam. Oh, Pam. Yeah. Would you like to unmute? I did. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I was, I love what you're saying. I love what's being said about the prejudice and the bias about weight. Because 
you know, as I was younger, I maintained my weight through just craziness, crazy stuff that I did. And I had a really negative attitude towards anyone that was overweight. I mean, it was extreme how I felt about it. Well, now as I am over 200 plus pounds and all this other stuff, and I have been in program before and I've had sponsors who have said, you have to gray sheet or you're not doing it and all kinds of stuff like that. So I felt like I failed, even though I had had really good weight loss and I felt like I was doing really good with my program, but it was like that all... I love what you're saying, though, about feeling that you're slipping in and out and, you know, that you're doing what is good for you today. So I'm real thankful for that message. Um, you know, just appreciating that this is the abstinence that I have today, that I don't have to do someone else's gray sheet. Um, I can do what I feel my higher power is saying this is what I need to do. So, but I'm thankful for the, the message that you're giving. I'm not saying it very well. I probably am not, but I'm just thankful for that. And I'll pass. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Pam. Actually, I think you said it very well. And you said what a lot of us are thinking. Um, who's next? Uh, oh, um, I've got Barbara. Um, hi, I'm Barbara. Um, uh, Martha, I just wanted to thank you so much for your share. Um, I just heard so much that I wanted to hear tonight, needed to hear, as so often happens in this program. So that's amazing. <laughs> um, you mentioned that your relationship with your higher power had changed and shifted. And I know that's a big and complex question, but I'm wondering if you're open to sharing a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, I'll try to tell it in a nutshell. The big crisis happened when I was, uh, I was about eight years into recovery and I was in the studio recording uh, an album with my band at the time. And I had been praying and praying, you know, dear God, if this is not the right thing, please let me know this kind of prayer. Well, and, and I really thought everything was, I was so grateful. Everything was going great until it wasn't going great and everything blew up. <laughs> And then I was, had, then a band broke up and I had no finished CD and I had $10,000 in credit card debt because I financed the CD. And then I had three car wrecks in a year. And in the last car wreck, I actually hit someone on a motorcycle, which was not, which was bad. And my first reaction was, oh God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> so it was a little self-centered at the time. Um, and I, I suddenly got it for me. Anyway, the epiphany I had was that I, I can make, for me, I can make my choices in life, but for me, my higher power is like the river. The river's going to take me through my life, no matter what happens. And I can paddle my little boat over into the rapids and think, Ooh, I'm going to make an album with my band and it's going to be exciting and fun. Well, guess what? There was a big waterfall that I didn't know about. Right. <laughs> Or I could go paddle over to the shore and take it easy, but the river's still getting me to the sea. Um, I did grow up with a brand name, Faith. I grew, and I did used to have a personified higher power. Over the last several years, it's evolved more and more and more to really just being 
the sense of connection that I had as a little girl walking in the woods when I was really small, and which is also the same connection I get when I'm making music with my friends or when I'm, uh, I just newly started painting this last year and boy, do I love it. And that feeling of, of connecting with my creativity also feels like my higher power. It feels like my higher power being here with you guys. And sometimes I need to personify that higher power so that I can have a conversation, you know? Sometimes it looks like some sweet old grandma that's gonna hug me. And sometimes it's that guy in a robe that some name brand religions give us, you know? And sometimes it's, I don't know, a squirrel. Um, turns out I don't think my higher power minds. And, uh, and that has been something that I could live with. I, at the, when I was having that crisis of faith, it was really about like, I tried to do everything right. This is the, being a musician was the biggest dream of my life. And I thought I did everything right. And then, you know, this guy, my higher power took it away from me. Um, and so I really had to get a bigger and broader higher power really in order to live with myself. Um, and I think it's all okay. For me, I think it's all okay to like, it, you know, if there is a higher power, I think it's probably not too concerned with whatever I make it up to be. <laughs> um, but that's just, that's just my take. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we have two, like what we have one or two more that had questions or comments, Barbara and Jan B. Um, kind of sitting here wrecking my brain because would, would you ladies be, okay with asking this um, just a little bit later in the program so we can hear our second speaker or would you rather it's, keep going it is just here so there's oh, only just okay go ahead jen go ahead hi i just wanted to thank you for such honesty your speaker your speak was great i wanted to say that i read so much to feeling like a loser when you when you stated that I felt like a loser when I was anorexic and 98 pounds and can still have moments of feeling like a loser as a big fat girl you know or bigger girl or whatever um I just really I really appreciate um that thank you thank you appreciate it too Thank you so much, Jan. We're so glad you're with us tonight. We hope you come again and join us. Um, okay. Our next speaker is one of our very own um, and someone that's very dear and special to me. Uh, it's Carla C. And um, we know her every week. Um, Carla happens to be my sponsor also. And, um, you know, she's She's been in the program and then I think kind of took a little sabbatical and came back and um, has had just has an incredible story. There's also a love story in there. And, um, you know, one thing I really I really had liked about her since I met her was she just talks like a real person, just just like Martha just did. Um, Carla's just real down to earth and um you know just doesn't judge you but kind of hits it on the head so carla please share your experience strength and hope with us thank you how would you like your time <laughs> um I, do i still have 20 minutes 
or is it 15? Yeah, um, you can go ahead and have 20 and we'll just adjust and we'll do what we need to do. We're, right. this is a great meeting. If someone could let me know at 10 and then at 15 and then when I have one minute left, it would be great. And I'm going to try and use every single second. <laughs> All right. My name is Carla. I'm a compulsive overeater and very, very grateful to be here tonight. I do love this meeting. I'm here every week and I you know, participate as I can. I volunteer for service here because I know my butt needs to be in this chair every Sunday night. I have uh, other meetings I go to as well. And I always take a position wherever I can. So my lights are dimming and stuff. We're, yeah, I've been in Oklahoma for less than a month and I got here last night and we have a tornado watch today. <laughs> so so my lights just dim. So if if the lights go out, they shouldn't. We I I got a generator, so I should be okay. Um, I am uh, one of those that came from, um, you know, one of those families where where food was love, food was celebration. You know, food was food was a big deal in my house growing up. Um, every party, every birthday. Every holiday was based around food. In fact, uh, the the judge of a good restaurant in my in my family was uh, it got a higher rank the more food was on the plate. So I did uh, bring some pictures. So we'll show you what's going on there. Um, here I was. Uh, I'm I'm the girl with the arms crossed. And uh, I, I was a pretty normal kid at that point. And there's my skinny brother and my very skinny little sister. And you may see that my wife, is, my wife, my mom is quite heavy at this point. Um, and if you jump forward a few years later, here we are. And I'm in the, my sister is on one side and I'm on the other. And there really is nobody in this picture that is gonna be a swimsuit model. And uh, then I kind of blew past that. Um, my high weight was 333 pounds. And I look very happy here. I'm happy for my uh, niece who was uh, graduating. But um, but I was, in, you know, in a lot of pain and I didn't fit into things. Here's my son's graduation. Um, but that's that's where I come from. I come from severe, severe obesity, morbidly obese. And uh, I, I carried that weight for a very long time. I, um, I had started out as, as a normal child and I don't know when I started eating. Some people have a boy, when this happened, this trauma, whatever I started, I had nothing like that. Nothing like that. I I probably started gaining in about third grade. I noticed that's when my daughter started gaining. So that that could be about it. Um, but there was no event. It was just uh, we were we were in a family disease and my extended family has a lot of weight in it. And I noticed that the good, nice people were the heavy ones and the evil, bitchy ones were the thin ones. <laughs> and so that, that was kind of so, you know, Martha talked about uh, 
a, uh, a fat racism. I have a skinny racism that I have to that I have to deal with. And I would see, you know, these skinny speakers talk about all the weight that they lost. And it's like, what do you know? Just what do you know? So the pictures to me are really important to show um, where I've come from. So I um, I had uh, kind of, I didn't have a boyfriend until I was 26 years old. And we broke up disastrously when I was 27, thought I was going to die. I had lost, you know, 10 pounds of the 250 pounds I was carrying at the time and um, had this boyfriend and it, it just was really bad. And it really broke my heart. And I thought I was going to die. So I thought, you know, if I'm not going to die, I better be healthier. And so I lost some weight and uh, was looking pretty good and got in with a good group of people and was feeling better and then started, you know, feeling better. So started to eat again. And I started watching my weight go up. And there was this little, little thing that my mom had said about OA way back when I was a teenager. And and I thought, you know, maybe I would check it out. So in the um, in the late 80s, early 90s, I joined the Orange County, you know, flavor of OA. And at the time, uh, I got involved in the HOW program, the Honest Openness and Willingness. Um, it's, it's the one that has the real strict food plan and really enjoyed it really enjoyed it. In Orange County at the time, there were meetings any time of the day. I could go during lunch. I could go, you know, anytime. I know I worked up to step five. I don't really remember a whole lot about the meetings. So that tells you how much impact <laughs> on me. I stayed there. I stayed around for a couple of years. Um, there was this guy that uh, showed up in one of my meetings and he was pretty cute and uh, we started going to movies and became friends and uh, fell in love and you know it was against the advice of my sponsor but what did she know right what did she know so uh, we started going out we ended up uh, you know a year later getting married and then you know launching into the having kids things because you know at this point I was like you know in my 30s and you know TikTok. so gotta get going on that um, and we started having kids and you know from the minute we got married it was like you know in it came, you know, we had the angry ex-wife, we had the child custody issues, um, my job, you know, ceased to exist in Orange County, I had to do a move to Santa Cruz, and, you know, where I had another child who ended up with health problems, and it's been, that's kind of been my life, really, pretty much since then, so one thing after another, taking care of everybody else, and having very little time to kick, take care of me, because also at the back of my mind, I had that thing going on of food's a treat, food is love, you know, you can't deny yourself the food, you can't take it away, because you don't deserve to have it taken away. And, um, and I continued to eat and continue to eat, I went way past the 220 that I was that I lost weight from before. And in those pictures, um, I got to my highest weight of 333 pounds. Um, I had bought a Fitbit <laughs> at, that, 
very shortly before I had bariatric surgery, you know, and it showed that my heart rate was, you know, resting heart rate was 85, 84, you know, way high. And that, um, you know, my blood pressure was starting to go up. I, um, my mother had been fully diabetic for, for years. And now I was seeing my blood sugars go up, you know, in my, in my thirties and forties. And by the time, you know, I was, you know, in my fifties, um, my blood sugars had crossed over and above 200, uh, fasting and, that scared me. Is that 10 minutes? Are you serious? Okay. Oh, well, so <laughs> I did do the, um, the bariatric surgery. I figured, you know, oh, that high risk thing. Well, you know, it's no riskier than the way I was living. And I felt skips in my heart. I knew that, that this was not good. And I had children I wanted to live for, um, husband I wanted to live for. And, uh, this is, uh, just, something that I was going to go ahead and do. And I did that. Um, and in that bariatric surgery, I knew that I had to get back to some support structure and it was probably going to be OA because that was the only thing that really worked for me back in the day. It was the only thing that I responded to. So um, did I go back to OA? No, I had bariatric surgery in 2016. I didn't get here till 2019. So in 2016, I had bariatric surgery, lost about 70 pounds. And, uh, you know, I'm fully non-diabetic. It was great. It was great. And I could eat all the carbs I wanted. And the I couldn't eat all the you know, protein I wanted or all the salad I wanted because that wasn't as friendly to my system as those simple carbs were. And there were no consequences for a while until there were. And uh, when I got up to, you know, I got down to my lowest with that uh, 213 pounds. Um, when I was back at 244 and my blood sugars were 144, I knew that I was killing myself. I was watching half of my family at that time kill themselves with alcohol. They were doing death drinking, my son and my husband. Um, and I was just, I was just a sick lost puppy, you know, with, with a disabled daughter looking at me, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? And uh, I uh, picked out a uh, skivvy, you know, OA meeting. It was on a Friday. I could sneak out of school and go. Um, had that in my pocket for six months. Did nothing with it. Did nothing with it to save myself. Um, when uh, my husband uh, collapsed and ended up in uh, and begged to go to detox. I took him to detox on Thursday. On Friday, I went to my first OA meeting. Mary Pat was a part of that meeting and she's here tonight. I just love seeing your face. <laughs> so, um, and in there, I heard things like, you know, food is cunning, baffling and powerful and too much for me. And I didn't remember hearing that before. I didn't remember that. I heard, um, I really heard the steps. I really heard chapter five, you know, and, um, just all of the things that, that this program can do for us. So what we can't do for ourselves. And I embraced it this time. 
And I was kind of, you know, shy about a sponsor. It took me a while to find one. Uh, I've had three sponsors now. Every sponsor, I've gone through the steps. I've gone through the steps twice with the current sponsor I have. Um, I've done it through the OA 12 and 12 and through the big book. And I am a big fan of the big book um, and really have uh, learned a whole lot. I came in with a lot of fear and a lot of self-disgust and um, a disconnection, a major disconnection with my higher power. I did go to one of those, you know, normal churches <laughs> that a lot of us had to go to, but mine was actually really loving and, and had a really uh, good, um, good feel for what God was like. And they did teach a loving God, but I just knew that he was looking at me with disappointment, shaking his head, rolling his eyes, looking at me. And um, in this program, I it really hit me at a body image workshop. Go to those darn workshops. You don't know what you're going to pick up. But I found my higher power there looking at me with eyes of love the way I look at my kids. And if my higher power can look at me like that, I felt like I could look at me like that. And that gave me the power to set, to really clean up my food and... Uh, you know, so that whenever my sponsor, you know, put a, yet another restriction on my food, I would say, hell no, first. <laughs> and then my second thought would be, I'm going to do it. So, you know, I started weighing and measuring my food and um, got down, you know, finally below 200 pounds, you know, but I didn't come in for the weight and it always ticks me off. It used to really tick me off in the, in all of the stuff, you know, the materials that talks about, Oh yeah, we came in for, you know, our vanity and to look good. I, I, I don't remember ever looking good. I still don't look good. I don't feel like I look good, but you know what? It's not, you know, you know, I love who I am. I love what I look. Um, the other thing that I learned here is, is this huge thing on fear. And I, I had a sponsor that was constantly telling me, are you going to be fearful or are you going to be faithful? You know, the counteraction of fear is faith and trusting. And so I had to learn to take the crazy crap things that were going on in my family and lay them at the feet of my higher power and see what he does with it. And that fear has turned into a curiosity on how that's going to turn out. Um, I, I had, so that's my, yeah. my strength is the program. Here's my hope. My hope is that I'm learning something new, you know, almost every week I, I get today's today. I had a total epiphany on the third step prayer in the third step prayer, there's a line in there that says, take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, thy, I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Take away my difficulties, you know, and if you look at my difficulties, my difficulties are my 91-year-old crazy dad and my, you know, 86-year-old crazy mom, my disabled daughter, my anxiety-ridden son, my conflicted husband. I mean, you're going to take those away. You're not, you know, take away my difficulties. I'm not taking away the circumstances. So what I'm praying for is to take away the difficulty I'm having in my circumstances. And 
So today's view is that, you know, whatever the circumstances are, my difficulties with them are that I'm fearful over them, or I'm wanting to control people, or I'm wanting to tell people what to do or have opinions, or, you know, I'm just, just, you know, in other people's business, and I don't belong there, and I hate it when they're in mine. And those resentments are they suck so much because every resentment I have is because it's something I do myself. So, you know, I have found a lot of this program is about get out of other people's business, mind your own business. You watch what your own self is doing. You see what, where you're, where you're doing (laughs) what the other person is doing. That's irritating you. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it takes, it's made it a whole different thing. So I have been relieved of a lot of the fear that I have. I have had, I've had some stuff, you know, my, my husband, my son just got lost in the snow you know, <laughs> on the way, you know, trying to help my dad, you know, in California from Oklahoma. And <laughs> thank you. There, there was uh There were times when I would feel the fear well up and it is a surrender thing. And I really, really honestly feel that no matter what happens, my higher powers got me. This is my higher powers world and we can do this. I just, I want to make one more thing that I've been mulling over and it's about service in the program. It's it's not an option for us. In chapter one, Bill's story, he talks about laying in the hospital and the thought came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics or eaters who might be glad to have what was so freely given to us. So his, I'm just going to read it. it. Particularly, it was imperative to work with us, others as his friend had worked with him. Faith without works is dead, he said. How appallingly true for the alcoholic. For an, if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. And he talks about he and his wife throwing themselves into work with others. And uh, at the end of the paragraph, it says, we meet frequently so that newcomers may find the fellowship. And I'm telling you, the Zoom thing has been an incredible tool for us to reach more and more um, people who were sick like we were, you know, newcomers. And we need workers in the field to go after them, to give them a place to come, to learn to, to, you know, engage with the materials that we engage with, to get them connected with their higher power. I I come from a particular religion. I don't feel the need to force that on anyone because my higher power is big enough to reveal to anybody, however, however that entity wants to reveal. So if you see your higher power in a squirrel, that works, that works you know what, your higher power is going to honor that and work with you. And your understanding is going to grow and grow and grow until, you know, that entity takes over your life. 
our our job is you know to pray for the knowledge of that higher power's will and the strength to carry it out and once i i learned to embrace that i i have just a completely different life i have so much peace in my life um and you can talk to anybody who knows me the the crazy crap stuff that goes on in my life is only showing me how strong my higher power is so because I am not I'm not bowing down under it I'm not eating over it um I I love the life I have today I love the people in my life and uh with that I think I will pass thanks for letting me share 